0: The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Well, hello everybody, and welcome once again to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am Capital Weekly Editor-in-Chief Rich Eisen. Joined as always by my colleague and partner in crime, Tim Foster. Hey Tim, how are you doing
0: today? Oh well, Rich. Thanks.
1: Great. Well, we, all, we have a good guest today as well, because um, really interesting information came out this week. So we are joined by uh, Dean Bonner, who's the Associate Survey Director and Research Fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California, uh, one, of, one of our favorite institutions, because if you, as a reporter in particular, we, we really rely on the PPIC a lot to get really good nonpartisan information about uh, how Californians feel about a lot of things. And there's a new uh, polling survey that PPIC released this week that um, has a lot to say about how Californians feel about the American dream and specifically the American dream as it relates to living here in California. And so, uh, Dean Bonner, we're really thrilled to have you here with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here for sure. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. And as I said, you guys have some new information out in this area regarding the American Dream, which most people have heard the term, at least, uh, the American Dream, which essentially is, you know, if you work hard and uh, mind all your P's and Q's, you can, regardless of what your station in life is when you start, you can probably reach whatever level of success that you aspire to. Um whether or not that's always been a, a, a reality in America is, is probably open for debate, but it's certainly part of the American ethos. Uh, so tell us, what, what did your survey results feel uh, or reveal, I should say, about how Californians feel about the American dream and specifically how it relates to our lives here in California these days?
2: Yeah, you know, our recent survey, it was it was fielded, uh, you know, back in, I guess now it was in October, and um, we came out with a blog this week that shows that, you know, just one in three Californians say that the American dream, you know, the concept, we provided the concept that, um, you know, if you work hard, you'll get ahead. One in three said that uh, that still holds true. Um, while um, the majority of folks said that it doesn't hold true with, uh, you know, with half saying, that it once held true, but does not anymore. And so that's an important distinction because there is about 15% that say that, you know what, the American dream never held true. Um, And so that to me is, you know, the fact that half are saying that today seems like a pretty big number and a pretty big deal. And it's actually grown seven points since December,
1: 2020. Well, what if any, were the specific reasons maybe that people gave for feeling that way? Was this all based on economics or were there other issues that you could discern from all of this? Yeah,
2: you know, we, we didn't necessarily get into kind of, you know, um, why they feel this way, but, you know, you can, it's a widely held view. You know, the negative view is held by, you know, uh, about half or more across parties, regions and demographic groups. So it's not like it's only partisans that are feeling this way. You know, you know, it's it's actually one of the few issues where we find that, you know, Democrats and Republicans are have nearly identical views with, you know, 51 and 52 percent saying that it once held tell true, but does not anymore. And so that that's always interesting when you can kind of find something that is consistent across a lot of different groups, you know, whether it be income or education among men and women. You know. In this case, there's just a lot of agreement um in the fact that you know they they think it once held true but does not anymore. Um, there is some regional variation, you know with with um, those in the San Francisco Bay Area and the Central Valley less slightly life likely and those in the Inland Empire the most likely, but that's still within like you know 10 percentage points between the most and the least across regions. And so it's a it's a pretty widely held view for sure. Well,
1: that said, It does appear that a significant percentage more of Republicans feel that the American dream is harder to achieve here in California than do other groups. I mean, I think if if I'm looking at the right statistics here, about 54 percent, which is still a lot of Democrats, feel that it's harder to achieve the American dream here in California whereas 81% of the of the republicans that uh, felt that way was that surprising to you at all or was there a big change in that from previous polling
2: um there actually wasn't a, a huge change in that you know in fact you know the share for democrats is basically about the same as it was um it has gone up slightly like 7 points among republicans um but not a not a huge change sorry it actually went up like four points among Democrats and seven points among Republicans since 2020 so given the time frame that's not a huge change but it is it is I think emblematic of the way that many California Republicans view the state they're more pessimistic when it comes to even the direction of course they're more pessimistic on most of the elected officials that we ask about um, but that's Mostly, I think, because most of the elected officials in California are Democrats. And so, um, but yeah, it is interesting that, you know, there is this kind of consistent thread through kind of, you know, whether it be overall mood or whether it be kind of how they're feeling about the economy, um, that Republicans are pessimistic. And then that kind of, you know, um, falls in line with this harder to achieve element of the American dream in California. But I will say that. It's a, it's a widely held view. It's not just Republicans, right? Like Republicans are kind of the most likely to say that, but you're still finding, you know, majorities across all of these groups that say that it's harder to achieve in California. And as you mentioned, it's an area of bipartisan agreement, which in our surveys is, is often hard to find.
0: Do you have any sense of how this compares, broadly to numbers. I know you said it's dropped since 2020. Uh, now, do you have any sense of how that is in the in the rest of the country? Is this a California-specific thing, or is this something that is happening generally in the United
2: States? Yeah, so there isn't a question recently about the um, harder to achieve in, in, in different states, but there is a national poll that recently came out that shows that of Americans uh, in a Washington, uh, sorry, a Wall Street Journal, NORC poll um, that was fielded about the same time as ours actually said 45% said that it once held true, but not anymore. 18% 18% said it never held true and 36% thought that it still held true. Um, so Americans nationwide are actually a little bit more optimistic, not a whole bunch, four points, um, more optimistic to say it still holds true and a little less um, pessimistic about it being once holding true, but not anymore. Um, and so that's kind of noteworthy that it's, you know, overall, it seems like there is pessimism among Americans as well. Well, it seems, too, that
1: while there was a, a fair amount of pessimism here in California, there was a lot of support or, or optimism for government programs that, that might help ease some of these economic issues. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. So, you know, we've we've been asking a series of questions since 2020 about a number of policies that could be used to improve the um the quality of life or the kind of the economic opportunity or economic well-being of, of folks. And surprisingly, you know, we, we created a group of folks who said that the American dream once held true but doesn't anymore and also said that um, it's harder to achieve in California. Now, that ended up being 36% of all of our respondents actually held those two views together. And when you look at some of these questions about increasing government funding for job training or offering a public health insurance plan, similar to Medicare, or like child care programs for working parents, the opinions of this kind of more pessimistic group isn't all that far off from the overall opinion of Californians. And so it's it's kind of noteworthy that, you know, even you know, solid majorities of folks who are very pessimistic about. California and the California dream, they still support things like expanding the earned income tax credit or increasing the California minimum wage or even making college tuition free, um, which aren't policies that you would normally be, you know, kind of expected with kind of a, with something which turns out to be a more conservative group of Californians. Because that is true that among these folks, They do tend to be more likely to say that things are going in the wrong direction, to expect bad times. And so even among that group, these these policy levers, there's still support for them.
0: That I thought was really interesting because that harkens back to an older time when everything wasn't so polarized by party and you had Republicans broadly supporting environmental concerns and Republicans certainly supporting uh, investments in education And with the way legislation is introduced and voted on, that's not really the case anymore. And it's much more of a partisan thing. But your findings seem to indicate that broadly, just because people are Republicans or identify as conservative, doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be matching the positions of of Republican elected officials on those types of issues.
2: Yeah, but... That's true. But I will say that, of course, all of these folks who feel this way about the California dream aren't all Republicans. But when we do look at the kind of the policy questions themselves, I think there are only of this, I think we asked, what was it, eight or nine this time? There were really only two that approached bipartisan support. You know, so most Republicans, you know, were against, for example, the minimum wage increase most republicans were also against things like the medicare involvement right and so but we did find about half a republicans who actually favor expanding the eitc we found bipartisan support for the idea of more job training programs which we've also found in the past and we we found bipartisan support although a big partisan divide on the idea of more um child care programs. And so there is some support among Republicans and conservatives. It just tends to be that for many of these, especially for the things related to um, making college free or eliminating college debt, there's a really wide divide between them on, on those issues, for sure. Oh, OK. It seemed to,
1: I, I the thing I guess was a little surprising to me was uh, seeing I mean, I certainly wouldn't call it optimism, but there seemed to be less pessimism among people in the economic uh, bracket of $40,000 a year or less uh, than there is among people making $80,000 a year or more. Um, That was a little surprising to me. I don't know if that was surprising to you, but was there anything else that that when you look at those economic breakdowns that had made any big shifts uh, from previous polling or, you know, stood out to you from previous polling?
2: Yeah, you know, it is interesting that, you know, lower income folks in our surveys from time to time do offer these kind of much more optimistic positions, you know. And so that was surprising, but it is something that, you know, we kind of, you know, Found in the somewhat in the past, you know, when you look at issues around like the haves and have-nots or the economic divide or things of that nature, um, not even specifically kind of the American Dream questions, but there there is a somewhat more optimism among these lower income folks, and I, I, I I'm trying to figure out a way that we can kind of drill down into that more because it is notable that under forty thousand, only about half say that. It's harder the American dream is harder to achieve in California compared to six and ten or more in the higher incomes, right? And so there is a little bit more pessimism when it comes to the whether the American dream holds still holds true. But it's kind of it's not very, uh, not very big differences between the lower income and the and the upper incomes for sure.
1: Well, and it, it makes me wonder because I, I I I'm curious about the questions and. You know, I've known people who have left California uh, predominantly for economic reasons. And not I mean, maybe they got a better job offer or something along those lines. Or or, or maybe, you know, they felt it was going to be easier to buy a house in another state or whatever. Because, look, let's be real. California is, are our, I mean, ask any housing advocate and they'll tell you the mental health aspect is a big part of homelessness. But by far the bigger issue here in California is the cost of housing. I think we all know how expensive it is to live here and and, you know if you're going to buy a home in particular but that said I've known several who've left and then come back because they just could not adjust to the social environment of certain states Uh, did you ask any questions along those lines in this survey as uh, about you know that part of the American dream whether it's you know people's comfort level or their you know their comfort level with diversity or their feelings about how maybe a more diverse societal view impacts their ability to achieve that dream? Or or was this really focused more on the economic aspects of of the American dream?
2: Yeah, we didn't ask any questions necessarily about the societal part, just kind of the overall American dream. But we did ask a question, and we have asked this in previous surveys and in different ways about this concept of people moving out of the state or at least seriously considering moving out of the state. In our, our most recent survey, we found 28% saying that they have seriously considered moving outside of their part of California, with by far most of those folks saying they would leave the state. Um, we've actually seen a five-point increase of the share saying that they would move out of state because of the lack or have considered moving out of state because of the lack of well-paying jobs. Um Currently, there's a huge partisan divide on that issue, as you might expect, with, you know, um, upwards to nearly four in 10 Republicans saying they've seriously considered moving out of their part of California compared to just um, 20 percent of of Democrats. But there's also is an economic divide there with nearly four in 10 people making under 40,000 say they've seriously considered a move compared to one in four of those making 80000 or more. There's also an age demographic that we've kind of seen as of late with with younger folks becoming increasingly more likely to say that they are considering a move. Um, you know, the, the actual hard data shows that there, there has been a change in the share of folks who are leaving the state. You know, some of our researchers, Eric McGee and Hans Johnson here at PPIC, have put together a few blogs on this that at first it was kind of, you know, a certain demographic of folks. You know, they tended to be more conservative and they tended to perhaps perhaps be more wealthy because, you know, it does take finances or resources to be able to move. But now they are seeing, you know, that even among lower incomes and among younger folks, there is this kind of data backing up that there are people leaving the state. In you know somewhat serious numbers, and and our survey kind of finds that. Well, I I guess
1: really maybe the bottom line here is what do you see as the biggest takeaway from this information? Um, because you know, the, anytime you look at polling in this day and age, I think we've you know we've become a little jaded to polling in the last few years because you know mostly from the national political uh, scene, which I think a lot of people. Uh, still get very up in arms over polls uh, around electoral stuff, but um, you know what? What is the takeaway? I think that you would like people to have when you when you look at these numbers, because you know, like I say, we trust PPIC implicitly. But but even so, sometimes it's hard to decipher. Well, you know, what's a bottom line here? You know, what what's the big takeaway here? So, what do you see as the big takeaway from this information that you've been able to gather
2: this time? I would say that there is a. Level of kind of concern among Californians that we're picking up in not only this survey, but a lot of surveys. The idea of housing policy and affordable housing, it's been a top five issue of concern dating all the way back to the pre pandemic, right? And so that's an open ended question where people can just name, you know, whatever they want as the kind of the top issue facing the state. And housing has been as of late, top three or top two, but dating all the way back to 2019, it's been a top five issue. You know, Californians see a growing gap between the rich and the poor. We find that recently we found in a survey that 60% were very concerned that the cost of housing would, would prevent the younger generation and their family from being able to own a home. Um, and so I mentioned housing because I think for a lot of people, even though the question doesn't explicitly lay this out, I think for a a lot of people, the concept of the American dream involves kind of home buying, right? Like kind of implicitly. Um, And that's not what we mentioned in the question, right? We just mentioned that if you work hard, you'll get ahead. But I do think that people do kind of associate it with housing and the American dream, right? And so, you know, we found as of late, nearly half of Californians say that the cost of housing is placing a financial strain on their family. You know, we find that just 16 percent of Californians are very satisfied with their financial situation. You know, there are all of these economic things that are that are kind of, I think, contributing to a anxiety kind of fueled situation for a lot of folks with nearly seven ten saying that they worry about the cost of housing at least sometimes. And one in four saying they worry about it almost every day. And so these are things that I think are feeding into the concept of, of whether or not the American dream still holds true and whether or not it's harder to achieve in California. And so I think it's it's great that we have support for these policies, which could improve the economic well-being of Californians. But at the end of the day, Californians are, I think, you know, they're, they're really pessimistic about housing housing affordability with 7 in 10 calling it a big problem in their part of California um which is an increase of like 11 points since 2017 and so i all of this kind of this stuff related to housing and income and then you have the partisan stuff i think is contributing to this idea that you know that the california dream as it is might not be achievable anymore you know i have a Maybe a last question, uh, or at least last one for me.
0: Can you talk about the the actual poll itself, like how you conducted it? And I know a lot of people that we've spoken to about polling have said that it's more difficult to get people to answer polls. And so, you can can you talk about the number of people that were surveyed, how that all worked, and whether or not you're finding differences in the way that your hand people are responding to surveys, uh, just as far as the numbers or their their likelihood to respond.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the the polling field, the public opinion field has been changing a lot in recent years. You know, it's it's always in a state of flux. You know, when, um, when the survey began, we only interviewed on landline phones. Then we added cell phones. And now we're actually doing it using the Ipsos knowledge panel. And so this is a panel that has nearly 6,000 Californians, nearly 60,000 Americans. They're uh, recruited. In English and Spanish, using uh, you know the the a randomized method using the United States daily sequence, the Postal Service daily sequence file, and so in the survey for this um, survey, we actually interviewed. Um, Twenty-two hundred and fifty Californians, because for this particular survey we had an oversample of lower-income folks. So we actually have a, a full set of crosstabs and everything for um, for the folks who are making forty thousand or less. And so with twenty with twenty-two hundred folks, we feel like you know that's a it's a great sample. Our normal surveys are about sixteen hundred, and so we 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 interviewed. A lot more folks for this survey so that we could be able to um present those findings of the lower income folks. Um, but yeah, so th- this panel is something that it's been around for a while. We, our first use of it was back in 2019, um when we started doing our special topic surveys using the panel because we were seeing this relationship between declining response rates as well as increasing cost. And so we made the switch in 2023, so that all of our surveys are now conducted uh, using panel data, and this allows us to not only get data that we feel is really great and representative of the California population, but it does allow for a different type of, of, of surveying, given it's online and not over the phone. Um, you know, there are some limitations of what you can ask over the phone just because things get complicated sometimes. But online, we can present ideas, we can kind of use full ballot label language, we can include every candidate that we think is actually running for an office. And we've made that change. And, and we're really happy with the uh, with the way that it's going in 2023 thus far. And our plan is to continue forward with this mode of polling. But yeah, it is a ever-changing environment, um, public opinion in America for sure.
1: Yeah. Thanks for, for laying that out. Because as, as I said earlier, I mean, I think a lot of folks these days are really challenged to trust polling and it's really good to know how these things are done. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be another hectic couple of years and, and, you know, so much of what we see now though is driven by what's going on on the national front. Um, you know, it, it it's probably going to always be a heavy lift from this point forward. But uh, as I said earlier, we we really appreciate having PPIC here in California to look at California-specific issues because uh, we, we know we can trust you guys. Dean Bonner, thank you so much for coming on today to talk uh, with us about the new survey. This is really interesting stuff. We will, as always, keep uh, an eye to what you're doing and, um, you know, look forward to Learning more about what's what our fellow Californians think about things here in our state as we uh, move toward another crazy big time election year coming up very, very soon.
2: Very soon. Yes. And, you know, I would encourage folks, you know, not only for this uh, blog, but for all of our surveys, we have a lot of information online, including crosstab and time trend information among all adults and likely voters. So if you want to look and see how people in 2020 felt about the American dream, um, that's online and you can actually look at the crosstabs and see, you know, kind of, you know, how that has changed. And so I definitely encourage people to kind of, you know, seek that out. It's on our website, PPIC.org, under the survey component or whatnot. But I'd just like to say thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast.
0: Hey, well, thanks for for sharing your expertise on this. This is PPIC is one of the things that uh, I think a lot of reporters rely on to have some sort of a broader sense. You know, it's so hard to to not just be in a bubble and, and PPIC I think is really valuable for getting you out of that bubble if you're paying attention anyway.
1: Well, Dean Bonner, Associate Survey Director and Research Fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California. Uh, but now it is time for our, I don't know if it's our favorite segment, maybe our most popular segment, who had the worst week, in California politics,
2: the worst week, worst week, worst week.
1: Uh, There's no shortage this week. Uh, sometimes there's a shortage, but this is not that week. Um, I don't know, Tim. I'll let you lead off.
0: Who,
1: who who's leading up to the pack uh, this week?
0: Well, my initial thought when I was following this uh, earlier in the week was candidate for the Senate race, Lexi Reese, who frankly, I was really not that familiar with. Apparently a tech person uh, dropped out, announced that she was dropping out of the race because she was pulling it under 1%, which, hey, good call. (laughs) You're pulling under 1% at this point, probably time to go. But uh, I thought that she would have a pretty good leg up, but I think she's been swept aside with uh, many other front runners.
1: Yeah, because the LAO report, uh, which came out the morning of the day we are recording this, uh, you know, the, they're going to, by, in fact, uh, with maybe even the same day that you're listening to this, but certainly shortly thereafter, if, if not same day, the LAO will release its official report. But we're probably looking at uh, a budget deficit next year around $58 billion. Very significant. Uh, that We knew it wasn't going to be a good number, but that's a really, really big number. And so really, there's probably a whole lot of people that could be we could be looking at here as having the worst week, you know, in receiving that news. For me, it's the, the top of the heat, though, has to be Governor Newsom, because he's the one who's going to have to come up with a budget proposal that, that takes into account a $58 billion shortfall. And, uh, you know, the governor... It's all the credit in the good times, and they get all the blame in the bad times, and or maybe not all the blame, but they certainly have to be the bad guy. Uh, when When the money is plentiful, they get to be the good guy and hand it out like Christmas candy. But when the times are bad, um, you know they get to be the Scrooge and say no.
0: So let's talk about this in context, and this is where your background comes in handy. So correct me if I'm wrong, but fifty-eight billion with a B is larger than the entire budget of some states.
1: Is that correct? Oh, Yes. Yes. Significantly uh, larger than some. Um, Not all. I mean, most of the state budgets these days are are pretty significant. But, yeah, $58 billion is a very, very, very big number. Um, You know, Texas, Florida, New York, Illinois, you know, those states have also have significantly big budgets. But, yeah, I mean, a small state like a Wyoming or, or a Rhode Island or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't looked at those numbers, it, you know, in close detail of late. But, yeah, that's a much bigger number than most of them ever deal with uh, in and total. So
0: this is going to have an impact on the legislature. It's going to have an impact on the governor. I think it's even going to have pretty big impact on the cities and counties who rely on a lot of funding that may be curtailed. I'm, I'm wondering how this could impact some funding that they're hoping to get f- to deal with homeless uh, crisis and you know this new care courts. I mean, setting up the care courts is probably not going to be cheap. Uh, I'm assuming that that money has already been ascribed, whether or not they may be squeezing the balloon to move the move the air around uh, on this. I, I don't know. I mean, but this is just bad news for Californians altogether. But my only caveat here with this is This is shitty news. There's no question. Fifty eight billion dollars not showing up is terrible news. But I don't know that there's one particular person, although Governor Newsom is going to take it on the head because you're right. He's the sort of the highest profile Californian. And so people will will ascribe blame to him there. But there's not one person I would say exactly who is probably going to feel the brunt of this. I think a lot of people are going to feel the brunt of this.
1: Oh, it's going to be widespread pain. I will tell you, one one person who comes to mind is the, is the new Assembly Appropriations Chair, uh, Buffy Wicks. <laughs> uh, what a time to take that position, right? Because, uh, you know, she's also, she's going to be in a position, as, as a, um, the Senate approves chair too. I mean, the, the approves chairs are going to be in the position of saying no before the governor has to say no. The governor won't have to say no for quite a while. Uh, of course... He also has to introduce a budget proposal much earlier than than any of those people are going to have to deal with proposed legislation. So that's why he's still at the top of the heap. But it, it's going to be shared pain for everybody. A lot of the uh, a lot of the groups that rely on government um, support in this coming year for big projects, you know, it's going to be a lot of haircuts going around. So it, yeah, I would, but I'd have to say. Gavin Newsom is at the top of the list right now for, for people who really see this as extraordinarily bad news. This was not a I mean, and again, as we're recording this, he just had, had his big tête a tête with Ron DeSantis, uh, which we're not even going to talk about because, I,
0: you know, I will say I do think he had the best line, I, you know, full confession. I didn't watch it live uh, because I discovered that I needed to sign up for some special a uh, program that I didn't already have to watch it, so I just kind of followed the live blow by blow on the New York Times, and I do think he may have had the best line of the night. The hey, neither one of us is <laughs> are going to be on on the uh, ballot in twenty twenty four. That's a pretty good line because he's not running for was. president. Desantis is,
1: you know, Ron DeSantis is not a good uh, campaign person. He's this. He's not a good speaker. You know, Gavin's not the best in the world either, but, you know, I think in that regard, that was, he was a lot more uh, dialed in for this thing. And he's, he's, he's been more dialed in for this kind of thing than I think his counterpart was last night for a long time. That's not a policy thing. That's just simply who, who's better in front of cameras. I don't, there's a lot of governors that are not good in front of cameras. And in a way that kind of doubles down on, on his worst week issue because had the LAO report not come out today, he would have probably been, I I think most people who, who saw it, you know, and again, it's going to break down along partisan lines. Republicans thought, probably thought DeSantis did better and Democrats did.
0: I, you know, if you follow them on social media, they definitely thought that he he mopped the floor with them
1: none of this was going to change anybody's opinion about anything from, from, I mean, I don't think any rational person thought this was going to change anybody's mind about anything, but I agree with you. They knew uh, probably had more to lose in many ways. Had he really performed badly, it could have really hurt him much harder because the Santis is already dead man walking when it comes to his campaign. So well, I don't think my
0: argument is the obvious, uh, the opposite. I think just Newsom really had nothing to lose there because He's already a turned out governor. Uh, if he really is running in 2028, this will be long forgotten. Uh, but DeSantis is running for president right now. And from everything I'm reading, he's not doing particularly well. The Koch brothers yeah, but, just backed, uh, backed but, Nikki but, Haley. But look
1: at it this way. I agree with you on that. But if Newsom had, had really bombed last night to a guy doing this badly, that... Nothing in the modern age is forgotten, right? In 2028, that video would have been out there all over the place. You know, now now the Republicans are going to not want to have anything to do with that, right? But if he had bombed, it would have come back to haunt him forever, right? So I think he did have a lot to lose. That said, I I think everyone agreed, okay, he did fine. It It was a shit show for lots of reasons aside from anyone's performance. And he got what? Uh, less than 12 hours to to enjoy, you know, being able to crow that he did he did really well in this thing before the LAO report comes out. And virtually all the things, negative things that Ron DeSantis was saying about California, in a way, just got hammered home with a $58 billion budget deficit, right? And whatever, whatever else that said, we are now the poster children again for physical uh issues that are bigger than anybody else's in the country. And he's got to be the face of it. Whether he likes it or not, he's got to be the face of it. And he now he's going to spend a lot of time, you know, touting, oh, we have these reserves and trying. But it's like, you know, trying to explain it away. But as we all know in politics, if you're explaining, you're losing. And so he now, he's going to have the unenviable task of trying to sort that mess out, and 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 I, I don't see how, how There's lots of subheads there, but he's the one at the top of the page that's going to deal with that. So for I'm sorry, Governor Newsom, but
0: Harry Truman, the, the buck, buck got here.
1: The buck just uh, took up residence at your your doorstep. So
0: well, you know, you know, who I have to say we love to bag on Kevin McCarthy. He's an easy target. I mean, he's no longer in leadership anymore. But I really thought for a moment that he was going to be the clear winner because he got PolitiFact checked. And PolitiFact is a, a very reliable outfit. They're affiliated with NPR. Uh, Capital Public Radio does, runs them a lot. And I don't even know where McCarthy was giving the interview, but he said, you know, the Uni- United States, we're really unique among nations and we've never gone to war and then taken land as war spoils. And, you know, the the giant orange buzzer goes off. It's like, Hey Kevin, your entire district, in fact, your entire state was Mexico until the War of 1848. So, I mean, there are other examples as well, but the entire Western United States was Mexico, or big chunk of it, uh, was Mexico until we took it as war spoils. So, uh, uh, you know, Politifact went to town with that. It was pretty. One would think it would be pretty embarrassing. I, you know, uh, for me, that would be if I had been. In fact, check to that level. I think I'd be pretty embarrassed.
1: Yeah, I tell you, he he ought to be grateful that that the L.A.O. report came out when it did, because he would have actually been the obvious winner this week. Uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy has been the winner several times in the, <laughs> the last six months. Uh, he would have been the clear and obvious winner because that that that's just tone deaf to the to the point of absurdity. But you know he's also the beneficiary of a of a 24-hour news cycle that just is relentless and so we'll see we'll, we'll we'll see how many people even remember that one a week from now but yeah that was that was pretty bad
0: that was yeah pretty as a you know person who really seriously considered in my life becoming a history teacher uh my hair stood on end i was, I was like <laughs> this is the former speaker of the United States Congress and this is a complete Misread of American history, uh, you know. So
2: anyway, well, I will say this:
1: if I had hair, mine would have stood on end at that one too. I am with you on that, Tom. And the and with that, we can probably wrap this up um, and just say, you know, Kevin McCarthy didn't have the worst week in California politics, but uh, he had the luckiest week in California politics in a way. So we'll just leave it at that. And uh, and uh, and I'll. I'll wish just everybody a good and happy, healthy week as we're heading toward the holidays and uh, an upcoming new legislative session. And we got a lot of stuff on the, on the plate coming up. So until next time, right, we'll be back with something else that, that uh, hopefully will keep everybody occupied. Thanks, Rich. All right. Have a good one.
0: The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California.